This week on the Open Esther's podcast with Gloria Jackson Nefertiti. So make sure that that you're living for yourself, you know, which there, there are a lot of people who would consider that to be selfish, but uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I would say that you're the most important person in your life. Welcome to the Open Esther's podcast. How will you write Act 3 of your life? Will you be open? Will you welcome the possibilities? Are you going toward your most vibrant, authentic stage of life? Are you curious to discover what's ahead? Are you in a fork in the road and wondering which path to follow? Would you like to hear from others who are already writing Act 3? Hey everyone, I'm Tessa. And I'm Amir. Why be an empty nester when you can be an open nester, living on the edge of your curiosity, on the fringe of your imagination, reinvention, and sexuality? Together, we'll take a journey and explore how rich this stage of life can be when we approach it with an open mind and an open heart. Yes, I'm looking forward to understand what is exactly intersectionality. Well, Gloria will give you that definition. And it's amazing because she was diagnosed with autism as an elder, and yet she's really stepping into her power. And so that's why this interview is interesting for people to define who she is. And she will give you that definition along with many other things around, around shame and her life experience. Let's get to it. Okay. Welcome to the Open Nessers podcast, Gloria Jackson Nefertiti. We had some uh, technical di- difficulties, but we're back smiling at each other. Yes. So Gloria is, I found in all kinds of wonderful ways through uh, Kitty Shambliss, through, which is Loving Without Boundaries, about her work around shame and her work in, in intersectionality and coming out in this open way in her life that I thought she could add a lot of value to our listeners about opening up this stage of their lives. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be here. <laughs> we were discussing before we got my internet went down that you are, uh, you've, you, you had your, your original origins around teaching shame and doing workshops around that came from some of your bullying as you became, as you were diagnosed being autistic right before you turned 63, which took, you know, many, many years. And there was, there was bullying involved. And yet the work around shame that you're doing is not necessarily with people on the spectrum. It's around our bodies, our beings are not allowing for as much manipulation and perhaps more direct communication around standing up for ourselves. Yes. And I think that's what's relevant at this stage of life. So will you talk to us a little bit? Well, let's name the three areas of, so the, that you do workshops around first. So shame okay. is one of them. Yes. Um, and uh, in, intersectionality is a, another one. Can you define, and, can you define oh, that? I mean, the, the, the term intersectionality for us. Okay. Uh, basically, intersectionality 
is, um, you know, is taking all of your, um, you know, it, your various identities and, you know, seeing how, how they intersect uh, into, uh, you know, causing your oppression or your, your privilege. Uh, for, for example, if, if someone were, um, you know, white male and wealthy, uh, you know, th those would be intersecting uh, personalities, you know, or, or, or just, you know, in, intersections in their life that, you know, lead to their privilege, you know, whereas uh, now with me, uh, I'm a, you know, a black uh, bisexual older woman and, you know, who, who is also autistic and I mean, there's all kinds of oppression involved there. Uh, it, it, now, when I when I teach about intersectionality, there is this picture that I'll put up. You know, it's a, a picture of me where well, we won't see it. I'll list, list all right, the right. Would, would, would you you won't see? It. And I'm I'm not sure if there's any any way that we'll post Yes. Okay. Yes. That that would be great. That would be great because because I you know I think it's really important. It uh you know it it shows my intersection and my multiple identities. And on each side of the picture, uh, it, uh you know there, there's just this long list. It like. For, for instance, on the left side, it lists uh, black, bisexual, or queer. I'm a, a cisgender female. Uh, I'm autistic, polyamorous, an elder, sex positive, breast cancer survivor. You know, it, and it just lists all these things. And, and um, on the, the right side, it also lists that I was raised poor. Uh, I'm a, a sexual assault survivor, uh, mentally ill, uh, also a domestic violence survivor. Uh, recovering Catholic, and I, I mean, it just lists so much, and I'm sure that there are more uh, identities that I hold, but, you know, I mean, you know, we just didn't have room to, to uh, show everything, you know. And how has that informed your journey, and how does that help you understand yourself and others m more so for, for the work you do? Um. It, it it shows me that you know people are just so so multi multifaceted. I mean, uh, you know, when when you look at somebody, you know, you can't necessarily you know know everything about them. I mean, there's there's just so much involved, and that's the the reason why uh, what, whenever I you know do work with people, I you know make it a point not to make any assumptions. I know that that I you know, really hate when people make assumptions about me. And for for example, um, part of being autistic, one of the characteristics is that people who are autistic are typically, you know, very trusting and you know seen as as uh, childlike, and they're you know maybe uh, you know it infanticide uh, and, and it's, it's also really common for them to be seen as not sexual so That's there's the, the yeah yeah you know so there's the the combination of, of being autistic and then you know with with me being an elder and I I look so much younger than I really am 
and because of that, you know, because of being an elder and, you know, being also autistic, there's this, this tendency for people to not only, you know, have trouble thinking of me as a sexual being, but, you know, they maybe don't take me seriously. You know, because they think that, you know, well, you know, you, there's really no way that you can know this, <laughs> you know, or they just assume that I'm younger and, and inexperienced. Uh, so that's very, very tied into your, the work with shame that you experienced. Yes. And it sounds to me that that's such an important part of the work that you're doing right from your heart I mean, right from where you oh. are. And so, so tell us the set. So maybe there are other definitions people don't know before we start this discussion about how we open up to this, this time. And um, maybe as elders, I love the way you put it because most of the people listening could be, uh-huh. but also defining the the multi dimensionality of our beings. So, yes. So, sex positivity. Would you mind just telling us how you frame that as well? Yes. Um... Sex positive for me is uh, basically it's the belief that people can express their sexuality, you know, ho- however they want to, as as long as there's consent involved, as long as nobody is hurt. Yeah. Yes. And when when I when I say that, I also include people who are asexual, or maybe people who are um, you know celibate you know, for a, a time, as, as long as they're giving everybody else, you know, freedom to express their sexuality however they want to, or to not express their sexuality. I mean, you know, that's a, definitely a freedom as well. As, as long as all of that is in place, then uh, yes, I would, I would say that, that you're still sex positive. Now, one of the things that I used to believe, and, and there are still you know, sadly, a lot of people who uh, believe this is is that sex positive. You know, just basically means you know, just, you know, be, being open to anything. <laughs> you know, any sexual act. <laughs> and I'm glad that that's not the case. <laughs> you know, when when I when I joined the uh, Center for a Sex Positive Culture in Seattle in 2000, well, you know, obviously this this was way before COVID, but um, I I remember it really took several years for me to actually become a member or or to even set foot in the place because I just somehow had this assumption that uh, as as soon as I walked in that that I would be expected to have sex, you know, whether I wanted to or not. Wow. And th- thankfully, that wasn't the case. <laughs> and if I had known that, I definitely would have joined a lot sooner. I mean, you know, th- th- some of their members are asexual. There are, are you know, several, several different kinds of, uh, you know, parties and events that take place. And I, I know that uh, I, I remember one, um, you know, person who was new to the center you know, I, I was talking to her, you know, basically showing her around because I, you know, I, I was volunteering that night. And I, I remember her saying that she, you know, hated watching people having sex. At first, I, you know, I kind of kind of flinched, you know, was a, a little bit surprised. You know, then, then I, I thought about it and, and I thought, well, you know, that's, 
that's perfectly okay. I, I mean, just be, because you're sex positive, that doesn't mean that, that you have to be comfortable watching people have sex. It, it, in fact, it really doesn't mean that you have to be comfortable with, with any kind of sexuality that, that you don't necessarily like. Well, my impression of of also the whole sex positivity um, arena or any place that we're become more open to express what we our needs and desires is about the, what do we say yes to and what do we what do we have boundaries around and how do we mm-hmm. communicate that in a in a safe or brave space. So mm-hmm. I, I I that's the kind of work it sounds like you've been now doing and what inspired yes. you to do that kind of work around shame that oh. even tonight you're doing something on what's private and what's secret and where we should yeah. shame show up where how are you yeah. inspired to do that oh wow let's see it, it started i think oh probably in in like 2015 something like that when i um, went to this workshop it was a free workshop called uh, sexual shame i, I mean there there was a lot in the workshop that i could really relate to you know i i thought that it was very well done at the same time i remember thinking that well Everything that the um, presenter said, I mean, it, it didn't necessarily just apply to sexual shame, you know. So I, you know, I wasn't really sure why it was called sexual shame, uh, but I, you know, felt that it, it could apply to shame. Period. And I remember I just kind of, kind of filed it away, you know, put it on on the, the back burner and didn't really think that much about it until I believe it was like 2016 that I started seeing these, uh, you know, I guess these, these uh, you know, calls for presenters, you know, where pe- people would, you know, say that, that they were looking for presenters for, you know, uh, upcoming conferences. And I happened to see a notice uh, saying that they, they were looking for presenters for this brand new conference that was, was going to be taking place in uh, April 2017. Uh, called ConvergeCon. It, it was in um, uh, Vancouver, BC. And, you know, it just said that they were, were looking for presenters. And, you know, and so, uh, like, um, almost immediately, you know, I thought of shame, you know, and I thought that, that's something that, that I could present on. And not only that, but the um, name for, for the workshop, uh, Transcending Shame, you know, just uh, came to me. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, yeah, yeah, this is, this is perfect, you know, and I thought back, you know, basically over my life, and just, you know, all the uh, various arenas where I had been shamed, uh, you know, for, for example, uh, well, I think I already mentioned about, you know, being autistic, you know, how in, in grade school, you know, since I acted differently and uh, talked differently from everybody else, you know, I, I was uh, born and raised in Mississippi, and uh, it was, was really common for the you know, kids to ask me, you know, now, where, where did you live before you moved to Mississippi? And, and I was, and I, I've always lived here, you know, but, but there, there was just something about how, how I talked and how I, you know, acted, you know, that was, was just uh, different. But they, you know, definitely didn't see it as different. I mean, they you know, saw it as weird and, and odd, and, and I get uh, bullied accordingly. You know, so uh, I definitely, you know, felt a lot of shame just about who I was. You know, I just felt defective being that I was was also, you know, a fundamentalist Christian for many years. 
and actually my you know parents were you know very religious but you know hypocritical because uh, well, well my father especially you know just because um you know there there was uh, domestic violence in, in the home i mean he he was the one who was you know, basically responsible, you know, for the, not, not only the, the physical violence, but, you know, the emotional as well. That was also a, a real source of shame for me. And then, uh, you know, going into this uh, campus ministry uh, when, when I entered college, and by that time, I was, was living in Portland, Oregon. I was the, the only Black person in the group. And I remember receiving a lot of shame about that as well, you know. Yeah, so you know, just, just seeing how. How did you begin to name shame. it? How did you begin to name that? I I think probably you know from when I when I started doing the research uh, on on the uh, transcending shame talk, and, and well, and also. I thought back to in the mid 1980s uh, when, when I was living in Portland, Oregon. There was uh, a, a man. I bl- believe he was a minister, but but his name was John Bradshaw. He he was, you know, very very important as far as uh, you know, just just helping people to uh, understand shame, you know, and and, and how shame you know, works in their lives. You know, the, the name of the book that he, he wrote, you know, that was a, a bestseller. The name of the book is um, Healing the Shame That Binds You. And I went to a couple of his workshops. There was something that he said that just really stuck with me that I always use in my workshops. And it uh, you know, really makes an impression on the people who take the workshops uh, is the difference between guilt and shame. He said that the, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Right. And that just resonated so much with me. And people can and, make us feel like instead of the behavior that we had, that, that we have as far as mistakes or even not just mistakes, mm-hmm. the way they're perceiving it or manipulating something can make us feel that we are less than and it, 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 it it's a it's a common theme in in, in relationships unfortunately because we're oh, not transcending absolutely. that and so you right. the idea of what you've transcended in general is so inspiring that I just want to just oh, commend you like just oh. the transcendence of, of of ways to work with people and see your life as your choice with so yeah. many dimensions of yourself intersectionally but also with some of the limitations if you've been on this if you are on the spectrum and that's where you Uh are to say wow i am still a powerful person that can make my own choices yes yes oh oh absolutely absolutely and yet i i wonder with women that have are coming into this age of what is queer and a lot of people our age who are more have come from a more heteronormative background or monogamous mm-hmm. background. A lot of yeah. our listeners, they may not know that you can call yourself queer once you are out of any kind of, you know, maybe heteronormative situation. So, right. so how right. does somebody that you've actually know how has your journey been towards that openness and sexuality and and being expressive of that? And is there anything that you have 
to inform or, or advise people to consider? I, I would say, especially if you're bisexual, you know, it's really easy for you know, people to you know, once again make those assumptions, you know, because uh, if, if they, you know, see me out with, with my male partner, you know, with, with one of my male partners, you know, people will, will just assume that we're straight. <laughs> which we're not. In fact, one of my partners is, is also bisexual. <laughs> you know, so we're we're de- definitely not a straight couple you know, at all. <laughs> and it's it's really interesting because when I first, you know, like when I left the church and uh, you know just decided that I wanted to experience everything that I had been told was wrong, <laughs> you know, all those years. And you know, and I realized that I was bisexual. And, and when, how would when you I say would, you, how would you say you realized that? I I guess just I had gotten to a, a, a place where I no longer had people breathing down my neck, you know, telling me what I was supposed to believe, <laughs> you know. And, and so once I quieted myself, and, and actually, what what really happened, and this sounds so simplistic, but when when I was part of this this campus ministry, you know. Um, all of us lived together in, in this apartment complex. And all my life, I would, would have to share a bedroom with somebody. You know, I came from a, a family of eight kids, you know. Yeah, and, and so I would, would always have to share a bedroom. But when, when I finally got to the, the place where I had my own bedroom for the first time in my life, then I realized that there were all these beliefs that I, you know, thought I was, was willing to die for. And, and I realized I didn't believe them for a minute. You know? <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, you know, once I had that, that quiet and, you know, and I didn't have anybody breathing down my neck anymore telling me what I was supposed to believe, you know, then that kind of gave me the freedom to, you know, just see that, oh, oh, yes, I... <laughs> You know, I'm bisexual. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it, it totally makes sense, you know, that I had, had always had this, this strong attraction to women, you know, all my life, even though I, I, don't, I don't know if I was just in denial about it or, or what. Uh, but that, that was how I, you know, realized that. Actually, yeah. I just recently heard uh, about a place called Skirt Club, which is a more, a more gentle way to enter that because women that are in New York City, they apparently have meetings to understand what, how they can come out and, and understand bisexuality and know some of those, going back to your session that you're doing tonight, knowing some of those boundaries and what it, what, where they can hold their, their, their space. I was mm-hmm. at, at the beginning with my husband when I first had my first boyfriend and my first love that was the polyamorous love of my life. I didn't uh-huh. have a secret from him about seeing him, but he, he didn't want to know the details. And oh, okay. That. So, and so, so we kind of kept that separate. And, mm-hmm. and, and for us, that worked and continues to sure. work to some extent. So, sure. So I think yeah. everyone has to decide for themselves where their honesty feels okay in their bodies. They're not sure. trying to keep a secret and what they can, how that works for their partnership. And by now with my, with, with, with Amir, with my husband, we are giving each other much more details. I and mean, they, we always knew when we were out with someone else, but now we're actually finding it and we're actually married for 31 years. Oh, 
And so we're, and so the trust is so enormous and we're so blessed Mm. for that, that we're able to progress in a slow journey. So, so that's what we're we're very lucky about. And yet, and, and these, and the fact that there are so many women, whether solo poly, I don't know if you consider yourself a solo. Yes. Yes. So so solely polyamorous means that you like to be in many partnerships and not have to be in one and not have to right, not have a nesting partner necessarily. Right. And, and what, what what it also means too, at least, you know, for for me and, you know, for uh, other people I know of who identify as solo polyamorous is that uh, I'm my own primary partner. You know, I don't have the, the hierarchy, you know, and I, I you know, I don't have any, anybody else who, who I would consider my primary and, you know, and I'm, I'm the, the uh, secondary or, you know, or whatever, you know, I, I, I just don't, don't operate uh, that way, you know. Yeah, uh, it takes a so, it takes a very big release of ego to be that kind of person, and it actually always mm-hmm. amazes me if if someone is able to do that. And sometimes people do that. Mm-hmm. I've heard about solo poly pe- people being for periods of time for them to strengthen themselves and sure. st- and 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 then some people that's how they define and 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 stick with that capacity and to have that independence, which is admirable. It's almost like. You don't need someone else to fulfill a, a part of your witnessing firsthand mm-hmm. as, as, as a nesting partner. And, and many women and men right. and, and non-binary all people are choosing to live alone because they are realizing that. I do believe we need community. And I'm so glad oh, we yes. have community. That's really. Yes. Right. Yes, I, I, I really do. I mean, I don't I don't live alone, but I, you know, I live in an intentional community, you know, with, uh, you know, for other people. I am so honored to have spoken to you today to just hear mm-hmm. such a, 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 a fresh and interesting transcendence of who you're becoming. <laughs> and if you have any advice for people at this stage of life in their 60s, anything that you want to leave us with or. Um, yeah, to make sure that that you're living for yourself, you know, which there, there are a lot of people who would consider that to be selfish, but uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I would say that you're the most important person in your life, you know, uh, there's so many people who um, basically live for their children or uh, live vicariously through their children. And my parents were definitely that example, you know. In, in fact, uh, e- even after we became adults, uh, they you know, still felt that they could tell us what to do. <laughs> you know? so, so, yes, I, I would say that, you know, no matter how, how old your kids might be, you know, wh- whether they're you know, still living at home or, or, or they moved out, um, you know, please make yourself a priority. I mean, I, I just cannot stress that enough. <laughs> so, Gloria, how can people reach you? My, my website, uh, which is called notgloriajean.net. Not <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or you can also email me at notgloriajean at gmail.com. And, and then on um, Facebook and Instagram, my username is Gloria Jackson Nefertiti, and it's all one word. You know, there, there's no no dash. And Nefertiti it. is spelled N-E-F-E-R-T-I-T-T-I. 
correct? No, no, it, it's uh, N E F E R T I T I. Just one, just two, wait, no, two, no double T. I had it written. Down. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yes. Thank you. And let's, let's see. And also on uh, Twitter, uh, you, you can find me. Uh, my username is Gloria J N. And in, in fact, let me uh, just, just say real quick that when some people would, would see the username Gloria J N, they would think that it was short for Gloria Jean. <laughs> when, when really it's the initials of my last name, Jackson Nefertiti, you know, so, uh, it, you know, it's really common for people when, when they greet me, they say, hey, Gloria Jean, and I say, no, it's not Gloria Jean. That's where you got not Gloria Jean. That's right, yes, and I finally figured I better wait, wait the name of my website, true delight and you know the, the work of shame and vulnerability i know you've learned a lot from brene brown you could also yeah. see her podcast which is um uh unlocking us is also mm. all of her ted talks so so the, this work is so important thank you for doing it oh. and thank you for oh, yeah. us today oh, really, yeah. really appreciate it so i'm going to just say goodbye and Tessa, i have to admit she is a very brave woman absolutely I mean, we can step into our power as we get into Act 3, and that's what I think is a great example of really being somebody who can overcome things and be kind and loving and be a powerful for force in, in the world by just using her voice with all of her challenges, and it doesn't give us, a, it takes away excuses to step into that's our right. gifts, that's right? right. Uh -huh. So that, that I really do, I really do thank you when you're listening to this, Gloria Jackson, her tidy. You are just a lovely human being, and yeah. you're giving so much to the world. And I hope that uh, some of our listeners will take something out of it, and we hope to hear from our listeners on our website, our website, theopennesters.com. That's double N in the middle, S at the end. We would love to hear from you. We have a short survey uh, on the website, so you can tell us what you like to hear what other subject matter are interesting to you, or if you know of anyone that is interested enough for us to talk to that has a story in Act 3 of their life, something interesting that the rest of the world can learn from. We would like to hear from you. And if you'd like to get into our closed private Facebook page and a discussion and, and make some comments even about this episode, please visit us at The Open Nesters on Facebook and take a look at the Tessa page because I'm just, I'm really trying, I'm really coming out with exactly the work that I'm she doing. Coming I'm out. coming out too. So take a look She's because there's out. all kinds of great things I can facilitate for you as we enter Act 3 and we explore it in all kinds of ways whether we're becoming more aware of our sexuality or we want to be more playful or imaginative, any of those aspects of our lives are possible when we do the work and practice and I can help you. Till next time, I'm Amir. And I'm Tessa. And we will see you on the radio. Ciao.